I'm Carla with Race to Walk, and these are some thoughts on a Sunday. And uh, I have already done this once, and there was no, uh, I get off of it, and then there was no sound and the whole time. And so it was an hour long, <sighs> totally lost. And so I, I just deleted it. So I'm doing it over again. This is probably going to be a little bit different. Hopefully, it will be a little bit more brief, but um, it's just my thoughts on promises and being faithful to those promises and false hopes. And that is the theme for this week. So what I usually do on a Sunday is I usually just have like a little bit of reflection and then I go into an update about where we're at with um, efforts on helping some Afghan Christians um, on their immigration journey to uh, they're currently in, most of them are currently in Islamabad and not all of them, some, most of them. And uh, we are just trying to find a way out for them. And so um, this is going to be kind of combined. And uh, since I already spent an hour on an update that there was no sound on, I am just going to make this a little bit more brief. So just as a recap of where we're at, we pulled out of Afghanistan in August of 2021. Uh, Donald Trump made it a treaty with the Taliban in February of 2020. Some of those, uh, some of the agreement is in documents that are secret. Uh, they don't like even the investigative um, committee that is responsible for uh, for overseeing what's going on in Afghanistan. They haven't. They, they don't have access to it. So when we pulled out, in uh, this was a letter on the drawdown. These are from the remarks of uh, President Biden, said that we were going to make sure that we still um, did humanitarian efforts and protected the women, the, the rights of women and girls. I don't know if you've been watching or not, but I see, I keep up on what's going on there and it's pretty horrific. It's basically illegal to be a woman in public in Afghanistan. They can't go to school. They can't even go to the marketplace without a male relative, um, they people, women who have divorced abusive husbands, those divorces have been canceled and they're either have to choose between being stoned for adultery or going back to those abusive husbands. So no, we have not protected the rights of women and girls. And then this is also in the remarks about they've sped up the uh, SIV program, which is a special immigration visa is designed to give a path to citizenship for um, people who assisted the U.S. military or other or the U.S. government while there. It's not just for Afghans, but it's also for like Iraqis, and it's just slow and it's it's just kind of a mess. Then when we pulled out, one of the things about this it just it kind of gripes me every time I read it. They make a big deal about this this number: one hundred and twenty-four thousand people were evacuated largest airlift, you know, in history. Okay, that may be true, but it wasn't just the United States. And the way they present it, they, it's like they try to take credit for all of that. That was all the NATO allies. We took in 76,000. That's what we evacuated. And then further on down, it says that the uh, U.S. is still going to make sure that the Taliban holds true on their, you know, what they said they would do and that we have a 100, um, Al uh, allies 
uh, countries that are allies that are also going to stand by this. And that anybody who wants to leave can. Complete and total lie if you don't know this. So um, it's a complete mess. And there are people, there are people who, you know, if you talk to people who have been involved in this evacuation, helping people through this process, you will find people who they are, um, somebody I was talking to the other day said that there have been people who have had approved visas that have been sitting in holding waiting for over a year. I mean, it's just insane. So it hasn't been fast. We haven't been through a few. I've talked about this on some of my other updates that the humanitarian parole, you know, out of one report that I read said that they, out of 8,000 applications, they only approved 132, like 0.3% is, is what they're approving for the humanitarian parole visas. Um, they, I, I didn't know this until just recently, but they, I guess one of those paths for humanitarian parole that was just created with when, you know, for, it was supposed to help with evacuations for, you know, for Afghans. And they're not being approved or processed. And so th this one path has been created for them already, and it hasn't been followed through on. This is another article that was in a, um, this one? No, it's this one. It was, this is from an investigation by the American Immigration Council. They did a Freedom of Information request. And they got emails of USCIS. And at the very beginning, in August 2021, they were expediting Afghan applications. But then in um, just in September, that switched and there was a hold put on, like specifically only Afghan applications, there was a hold put on them. And so what is happening is not, you know, there's these words going out we'll stand by our allies and we will, you know, we will continue to help them. We will do the right thing, but that's not what is happening. So, uh, just as far as our group, I mentioned that we've had, there was, there's been discussion about Brazil coming up. So how do these hundred allied, allied countries that are going to stand by this, the only country that is actually, ha that has an open door to Afghans is Brazil. We've talked about the whole thing that they have to, you know, a lot of them are going from Brazil because economic conditions aren't very good in Brazil. They're going from Brazil to the U.S. because we're still seen as like the promised land. Whether that is true or not, that's how we're still seen. And so they try, and we've been, to, we've told them that we're going to provide a place for them, right? And so all of this, they see us as a promised land. They believe, you know, this, this front that we're selling. And so they try to make it here. And if you've read the news of like what is going on there, it is so dangerous that trip from Brazil to this southern border in the United States. And even if they make it here, like only half of the people survive the trip. And they're actually trying to block that, the Darien Gap. They're trying to block it where so many people die, uh, trying to come through there. But when they get to the southern border, it's, it's still not over. I read an article this week of this guy has been, he flew into Mexico, so he didn't do all that. And he was going to try to claim asylum. But now they have this app that they have to 
uh, you have to make an appointment to claim asylum at the border, and they only do 750 appointments a day. That's not even processing. The, it's just 750 a day. So he's been waiting for a year in a refugee camp on the southern border. So, you know, it's just it's just a complete entire mess, and we're not we're not following through on that. So, anyway, we have this this person. I, I got this contact number for a guy who's been getting people to Brazil, and so uh, I had a, an appointment or a call with him on Friday, and his story is that. Um, they had a, I don't know if it was an NGO or a business. I, I, don't, I don't know which one it was. He didn't say the name of the company uh, or the organization. But they had an organization in Afghanistan for seven years. And ten years ago, they pulled, they pulled out. And so since then, they've been working on getting their people, like their people through SIV applications. So they had SIV applications in long before all of this went down. Some of them still haven't been processed, but this is what they've been working on. And so he said in July 2021, they realized they could see what was what was coming. And so they started talking to people and trying to start making a plan. They had like 400 and something people, um, like with their employees and their families, that they were going to try to get to the airport and fly out of Kabul. And um, they went there. Um, everybody saw, you know, what was going on there, and they were only able to get out 79. So the remaining 300 and something people, they were going to have to find a way to get out. And so they started working on that. They got a few people who had passed to the U.S. and Canada, but other than that, they were looking, he's like, he basically looked the entire world over and tried to look for options to where they could take the people, and Brazil was really the only option that was willing to give people a visa so he what they've done is just a I mean I wish I had had a recording of this because half the time I was just like stunned because you know I we I have done enough like with visas and requirements and stuff that I I can understand the magnitude of what he's talking about not only did they have to get people, um, you know, same thing that we're going through now, trying to get documentation for people. He said at one time they had 35 um, apartments in, in Afghanistan that they were supporting people in, getting people into Pakistan, getting them out, you know, there is just like so much. There's just that alone is so much. But then when they get to Brazil, it's not like the U.S. It has a resettlement system. They have not. They don't have that. They just, all they have is a visa to go there. And he said there's like hundreds, like if you go to the airport in Brazil, there's hundreds of Afghans there that basically just got got a, a, a visa and then they, they have nowhere to go. They have no funds, no nothing. They just got there. So they had to set up an entire resettlement system. They have agencies, like we have local resettlement agencies here. They, they, Brazil doesn't have that, but they coordinated with them. And so when they look at this is what it's going to take is for funds, that's part of it. They have the, they contract with agencies to help them, you know, teach them Portuguese, uh, get, you know, culturally assimilated, get their kids into school, um, help them find jobs, things like that. They have 
people that will work with them. They also connect them with churches. So they're not just, it's not just a ticket, you know, to, to get there. It's like they get in, they get settled and they're, you know, they're ready. They're launched, you know, so they can start a new life there. And he did this. He said that um, as they started doing this, other organizations would contact him, say, hey, can you help us? Can you help us? So they went from their 300-something people to total. They're, they're working on their last 330 people, but the to all total, they're working on getting out 1,500 people, most of them going to Brazil, which is just amazing. I, it's just, I, it is such, it's absolutely, absolutely amazing what they've done. And they, these are just people that came together that had an obligation, you know, felt like they had a moral ob obligation to get their people out, get them out to safety. He hadn't even been doing business in Afghanistan for 10 years, and he still felt an obligation to, to make sure that the people, his former employees, were okay. And it sounds like some others too, and they fundraised all this money. They just, I'm like, how did you do this? He's like, I have a guy. He just goes out and they raise the funds. It costs this much, you know, it's the average price that he said it takes for them to from start to finish, like it depends on where they're at and how difficult it is. He said he they've moved some really sensitive people and sometimes they have to have safe houses, like not just safe houses that, you know, they're not gonna get the, the door, you know, somebody knocking on their door, but like literally he said they can't go outside you know, they have to stay there. We try to keep them safe. He said, but we haven't lost anybody. We've moved some really sensitive people. And um, all of that. And he said the average is about $11,000 per person. And they've moved 1500 So, And they've fundraised this. So these are private people. This came together. He said, we have an organization of 25 people. He said, I have people that just work on visas. I have people that just work on this. And we just, you know, they have like a system to get people, you know, there and settled. And um, he, uh, it was just amazing. I, it was just so, I was just like, it was overwhelming. Like uh, some of the things he was telling me, but this was the, this is a kicker. So there were a few things that I learned, like little details, like I did not know that they had to have a valid Islam, uh, Pakistan visa just to fly out of Islamabad. Didn't know that. And I, and the other thing, um, we were talking about, because I was basically asking me advice. We have these visas that we got, like the renewals that we got at the end of the year. There's some of them are medical visas. They're only for 90 days. So they're coming up for, they're going to be expiring. Some of them are just, just now expiring. And I'm like, I just really, I have a hard time paying this much money for these visas for Pakistan. And he said, well, what they do is they just do the, um, the filing, they file and then let them stay pending. And then once they get a visa to move them, then they, um, they file an exit permit because they have 15 days of legal status under the exit permit, even if that visa never came through. I was like, okay, that's good to know. Cause I just had somebody contacting me about that. I'm like, oh man. I mean, it's just, uh, visas are such a nightmare. And we're talking about visas. And I was telling about our whole dilemma about, you know, we had, I don't know, like 13, 14 renewals. All those came through except for one medical visa. 
got denied. And then I'm like, yeah, we had 28 visas and you know, one an act of God, one one year one one year family visa that came did came through um, after they weren't doing one-year visas anymore and it was even during a time when after they had completely shut down visas supposedly and uh i said we got one other one he said yeah we were we were in like the same thing and and so it made me feel a little better because this this guy who's done it so many times and it's like this is a thing he's an expert in it and they were running into some of the same problems that we have um he said i pulled the plug at the end of January, and we went a different route. So I don't know what that means. I don't know what different route they went to, but but I didn't ask because I was like shell shocked at the time. So, but they got 300 visas in 45 days, which is like can't even tell you. So they are moving their last 330 people to Brazil, and so I'm just talking. I'm just asking about different things, and I said, well, you know, because we have some people that I think. They have, we have family groups and they, they consider like a family unit, right? But some of them, like, I think as they go through and immigrate, they're not going to be able to immigrate as a family or under one application, one application. So there's like some kids, there's one family that has a son that's like 22, you know? And so he's, he's not going to be able to go in under his parents' application. Um, we have another family that has like a brother an adult brother that they want to go as a unit, but the brother obviously is not going to be able to be under that application. So how, how do we do this? Cause you know, one person's just because you, you consider yourself a family unit doesn't mean that like on immigration, they're going to. So some of them for like the single young single people that were in college, you know, I, I think student visas should um, be an option for them, but we'd have to find a program for them that they can enter on to get accepted to and find the funding for it. And then it gets a visa. And he said, well, we had, he said, we had uh, some people that were going to go to University of Oklahoma was going to give scholarships for four people. And uh, was that this? Now I can't remember if this, this or something else. I can't remember if that one they actually got there or if this is another thing, but one of them anyway, they said they couldn't get an embassy interview. And so they lost the spot because they couldn't, they couldn't get an interview for the, the visa. So I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, what about Welcome Corps? And he's like, well, he didn't know about it, which kind of surprised me, but I guess he's been, this just came out in January and he's, they already had their path to moving people at that point. So he's like, well, he, this was a kicker. This is what he told me. He said um, he considers the U.S. a hostile nation when it comes to um, Afghan immigration. And he said that, um, I said, well, what about, because they raised a cap to, this is what it is. They raised a cap for refugees to 125000 a year. But last year, they only processed 25,000, a little over 25,000. The year before that was 11,000. And he said, this is what I've read, that Trump decimated the immigration system and they're just kind of rebuild and recover. And, and this was all through you know, the pandemic too. So that's, that's sad. But what he said was that that's just for the press, that um, 
there is specifically for Afghans that um, Biden does not. This is what he said. He said, said Biden does not think that we have an um, any sort of that we owe anything to Afghanistan. And he said, I've been told by people in the State Department that when things oh, there's discussions that come up for you know making things move, that he puts a bash, a quash on it. He said that because I said, well, it's not just us because I've looked and it, it it is like this. It's like when I first started looking at this and was just looking at all the different countries and what they were doing. I was like, this is just so weird because it just really felt like, I mean, I didn't know anything about immigration, but what it felt like, what I was seeing was that there was just this wall against them. This is just what it felt like. And he said that the closer the ally, the country is allied to the U.S., the harder it is going to get them an Afghan into the system. This is what he told me. And <laughs> I was, I don't know. I, I'm still a little, I don't know quite how to process that right now. Um, I have a hard time, I don't know, I don't know. I, it's like there's all these words out there, right? Like, oh yeah, we're going to stand by them, we're going to stand by the women, but it's that's not what's actually happening. And I don't know, I, I'm still... I'm still kind of working through it because I, I was reading through after that. I was like, sometimes you talk to people and they have their, they have experiences. And so they see their they see things in a particular way because they, they've, they've experienced certain things. Right. And Hey, how are you? Um, this person I'm talking to has had years of experience with the SIV program and knows like how slow it is and, and this not following through and standing by people who helped us um, is not new, right? We did the same thing in with Iraq too. I mean, there's still people that are waiting <laughs> to be come through on the SIV program from the war in Iraq. So it's not new. And this is somebody who was like, we're going to get our people out one or the other and just basically wrote off the U.S. So there's that. But then I read, it's like how, I don't know. It, but there's still there's these words out there, right? There's People are still saying this, but they're not doing it and following through. And this is what he said. He said they put they put these things out there like, oh yeah, we're gonna do this, but they don't provide the resources for it so that things get squashed. So there's like people, I just wanna I don't think I have this up here. Um they there's like fifty I think there's something like fifty thousand people that are sitting there with, with approved visas. I think that's right. To come in. The applications have already been approved, and this is like in Qatar, and they're not flying them out. And the U.S. military or the U.S. government saying we can only do 250 people, fly out 250 people a week. There's these things called airlines. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that you could manage to, like, 
they're private companies, you know, I'm sure you could manage to say, hey, I'm sure they'd be able to help, willing to help you out with that. I mean, this person that I was talking to, they've moved, they've raised, put together an organization, they've raised all the money, they've set up and had to build a network of people to get these, you have no idea how hard it is to get visas in Pakistan and passports in Afghanistan. You have no idea. They had to build that whole network, plus create an entire resettlement system in Brazil for the people that they were relocating. And they can do this, and the, the entirety of the U.S. government is like, oh, we can't, we can't handle this. We can only, we can only fly out these people. It's, it's inexcusable what we're, what it is that we're doing. It's ridiculous. So, anyway, I'm. I, I don't know. I, I don't know, like, really quite how to process it. And um, I guess it was just hard to, like, to realize that, like, what I was saying that was actually true and that it's going to be, it's going to be a harder push. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? So like I said, this is what one person is telling me. This is his experience. But this is what I'm seeing. Oh, and then, oh, get this. Watch this. So where did it go? This is this lady on Twitter. She is involved with the Canadian helping people get there through Canada. Same sort of thing. Did I say this? Because I've done this before with no sound. So I don't know if I said this already. But this guy told me that the closer the the country is allied allied to the US the more, yeah I did say this um, it's gonna be harder to get them in and so Canada I mean they're a little bit better than us but uh, Canada is like the same thing and she said that same thing they're having it's very slow getting people out they're not getting out the people that that were working with the military but they are if you go and look at this tweet what this this document says is that because the interest is so high about Afghans and Afghanistan and what's going on there, that they know they need to do something. So they're just bringing in people, not necessarily prioritizing their version of SIVs. They're just bringing in people so they can make the numbers, so it can look good. So at least they're doing something. But, you know, her thing is, like she said I don't have a problem with because we had a conversation about this she said I don't have a problem with you know getting out other people because they need to get out too but we need to you know do right by the people that you know we we gave a promise to help and so um I uh that's kind of what uh I don't know I um we've been getting contacts with other um, embassies. So I'm not like, I'm not relying totally on um, the US, but um, I still, my plan is still to like, well, with Welcome Corps that was announced in January, according to what this says is that private, private people, private citizens, sponsor groups in the beginning of, um, in a couple months, you're supposed to open up phase two 
and private sponsors will be able to refer families in. And so it's supposed to be for, for refugees from any country. And so I don't know how you can, they can say, if I get a sponsor group for our families, I don't know how they're going to be able to say that, um, no, you can't. You can't, you know, you can't do this. If they've, they've said, specifically said, how can they say, we're, we're going to support the Afghan people, we're, we're standing by our allies, this is for all the refugees, how are they going to be able to say, you can't come? No, you can't do this. So, I don't know. I, I just think that um, we need to do what we said we were going to do. And we are, what we're doing right now, as far as basically leaving them hanging, is like if we were trying to pour gasoline and uh, fire up more extremism in the, in the area, that's exactly what we're doing. There was a recent study or poll, and they surveyed people in Afghanistan. They asked their opinion about like what they thought, like if they really thought that, that the U.S. was there to further democracy, um, you know, for 20 years. And for, only 14% said yes. So overall, people don't really believe us. And when you look at, you know, some of the things that we do and how we've acted, you can understand why. We, through the Doha agreement, we handed the country over to the Taliban. Um, I have a, I don't have Lincoln now because this is the second, this is the second uh, stream I've done on this, but um, I saw an interview with General Hartling and he said that there were things in that agreement that made things more difficult to, in the, in the withdrawal. But I've heard reports that we're giving $40 million every two weeks to the Taliban. They're basically, they're human traffickers and they're drug dealers. It's stories all over the place about 2022 was the best year for, you know, opium harvest. So this, this is what we've done. We said that we were going to, um, you know, support the rights of women and girls. It's a complete and total joke. I mean, the things that are going on there are just horrific and barbaric to women. We need to actually do what we said we were going to do. And the very least we could do is to facilitate people finding a, a place that are at risk because they helped us. And the people that are trying to come are people that actually believe that we, we mean what we say. They, they, believe, they believe in what we've been telling them. And so when we delay and, and put them off and gaslight them, I mean, we're making an enemy of people who have been our friends. And I, there's a, somebody that has been helping us quite a bit and he'll give us advanced warnings of when the attacks are going to be and was giving us, um, send a notice about, oh yeah, the Taliban actually, they can basically access any phone data of any Afghan number. It's, they have access to the system, they're partnering with China and Pakistan. And it was this whole list of things they could do. And I'm like, I don't even know what this means. Just tell me what our people need to do. And the short version is stay off WhatsApp, go to Signal. I don't even know. Somebody said that they need to get like foreign numbers. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. But anyway, 
I had, I was talking to somebody else. They confirmed it with their contact that what, what this person had sent me was actually true. But the person that gave me this was the head of an, an organization that worked with the U.S. government and NATO. You would think that these people would have some help, right? And um, so, no, they've just been cut loose too. And he gave me, I, I just was getting, he has an SIV application and I was just going to go in and ask, you know, my congressperson to check on it. You know, it's not like, I don't think he can speed it up, but at least like, this is somebody that knows somebody, can we, you know, don't like let this fall through the cracks basically kind of thing. And um, they have this list of people. It was probably like, he said he had 250 employees, but the number of families on the list, I think was like close to about 20 maybe. I have to go back and look. And about a full third of them, there was a list of like, this is a family, this is who I am, this is a family, this is what I did. And probably a third, full third of the, the people had a family member that had been killed by the Taliban in 2022. So while they're sitting there waiting, to be evacuated for their SIV applications to go through the Taliban. It's picking them off one by one. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't, if we want to make enemies, that's the way to do it. There was a, some sort of conference council of the, the, um, yeah, it is. It's really bad. It's really bad. Um, there was a council just this week of the surrounding countries and they let like whoever I, I should have gotten the link to the article, but, but whoever was in charge of it didn't let the other countries know because they're not letting the Taliban in because Taliban want legitimacy. They're thugs. Um, but the head of the, the conference just let them in, didn't let anybody know, let him come in and speak. But the person, the representative from Pakistan said that they're just basically, you know, the West, the U.S. is just trying to walk away and act like this isn't a problem, this isn't happening. And that's, this is exactly what we're doing. It, this is a problem. And so I've mentioned this before, but um, I mentioned the Afghanistan Project podcast. They had one that just came out yesterday. Uh, and it was a response to, this is, oh, was it John Kirby? who came and said, all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. White House spokesperson says, administration proud of the Afghanistan withdrawal. <laughs> the whole world saw it. Okay, this is the 21st century. You can't gaslight like it's 1893 and like put out some false story. Everybody saw it. Okay, not only did everybody see it, but guess what? Um, I'm sitting here, here in the U.S. I've never been to Asia, and I have like I'm connected. I'm connected to 115 people that are sitting there in Afghanistan or in Pakistan. Some in Afghanistan, some in Pakistan. They tell me what's going on. So this is the world of the internet. You cannot gaslight people anymore. The truth is going to come out, and so you can either be proactive and do what needs to be done, or you can look like I'm sorry, like. Okay, so you can say, you can, you can blame some things on Trump. You can't blame this on him. You can't blame the lies on him. You can't blame the gaslighting. You know, I think one of the things that they said in that podcast yesterday, these are soldiers that were there. 
And they said, and they were telling exactly what was going on. And they said they weren't giving any guidelines of like who to pull out. He said the people who were, uh, who were not on that list were SIV applicants. And he said they, we got a postcard handwritten with who should be coming out and was written by the ambassador. And I'm assuming that was the U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan. I don't know who that was. But if you read about what was going on in the embassy, it was complete goat rodeo. I mean, and so what is it? Is part of it that we have like incompetent people in these positions? Is that part of it? You know, it was people were just sent over there as like some like, you know, they knew somebody and it was a payoff or something. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Yeah. Well, I agree with that, but I also think that, you know, we and the people I'm connected to, you know, they are Christians and that doesn't, people will be fine when we do something, right? So, you know, Paul writes about, you know, this, I can't remember what passage it is, but when you, he talks about a ministry of giving. So when you give these things that the needs of the believers will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And so Paul wrote a lot about churches in the surrounding area sending help to the church in Jerusalem that needed help or this church over there. And this is in the New Testament that we are, we are called to, if we see need, we need to fill it. And um, the person I was talking to this week, are, he, they, they didn't only evacuate Christians, but that was what they saw because they said we didn't see that as, being filled you know there there's different people focusing on different things but they're really for as far as afghan christians there wasn't and he said i know this is recent but um, i did know that being a christian is not considered enough cause for um for asylum so if you're a Christian and you're in the United States, you're in Afghanistan, the United States does not consider you, that's not enough risk for you. And he said that was a change in October, 2021. That's a recent change. So uh, I, I'm not really quite sure what to say about that. I mean, all our people, all of them, I mean, at risk we have, I've had in one week, we had, I guess it wasn't one week, but one, yeah, it was one week. One family found out that um, one brother had been, that was still in Afghanistan, had been killed by the Taliban. They hadn't known where he was, and then, you know, they came, they found his body. Um, and so they, uh, it's a crazy story. It's like, I'm not going to get into that, but, and then the other, had been stopped at a checkpoint coming home from a prayer meeting. And when they checked his phone, they saw a Bible app on his phone and they beat him really badly. He had to leave and he's still in hiding. So I guess you have to be a particular kind of dead for us to be considered um, there needs to be a risk for asylum. And I don't know. I just, um, I do understand that there's a lot of skepticism about when people say that they're Christians to be, um, you know, that, I mean, even some of 
the people in my group have said, well, I don't think this person's really a Christian or I don't think they're really a Christian or they question it. And they said, they're just saying this because they want to be, you know, given a visa to get out. And I understand that. But um, I do think that there can be um, validation of it. And this is one of the things I've told the people in my group, you know, you need to be known to other Christians. So we have one of the people that was helping me very early. Um, we could just, this is kind of like a province of God thing, just kind of dropped in my lap. There's a guy who, uh, his name is Arlie Lowen. He's a Canadian. He's been ministering to the Afghan church for the past 30 years. And so he had a trip to Pakistan, I think it was November of last year. And he met with a, a lot of, quite a few of our people. And they said that when he met with them at their house church, he did, like he does these family, kind of like family life seminars. Um, because just to kind of reframe what a Christian family should look like, you know, because they're, you know, they are in, in this uh, predominantly Islamic culture. Um, my friend Mark that got me involved in this, Mark Ritchie, he said that um, most, even most Pakistani pastors uh, beat their wives. And um, so Mark actually gives, he has a sermon that he gives on, uh, um, you know, that if a man doesn't treat his wife well, God isn't going to listen to his prayers. And he's had people, um, he mostly has people, he's had people walk out of it before. So the church are mostly absorbed with themselves. That's actually true. I mean, I, I don't say it's totally true, but that's one of the frustrating things for me, like listening to, um, the things that people get all up in arms about, it's like, or think, you know, people here that think they're persecuted and it's like, you don't even know what the word means. That's, it's frustrating to me. But um, anyway, what I was saying about Arlie is he went over and, you know, he basically went through and kind of questioned them about their faith and said, you know, question what they believed. And um, then he, he told me, you know, what his thoughts were. He said, yeah, I think, you know, I like kind of set up they have there, they have good spirituality. And so he's somebody that, uh, you know, they know, they, they know each other, like they, this person knows this person. And so there is a, um, you can verify things, you know, you can verify if somebody is actually a Christian or not. So, um, I understand the skepticism, letting people in only on that because you can say anything, but uh, there are ways to verify that, especially when you have people like we have one, one person in our group that um, he's worked for a number of Christian or NGOs in Afghanistan. All of them have cut him loose. This is multiple people like this. It, it, they worked for Christian ministries that just won't even talk to them. I mean, anymore. It's really upsetting. And so that was one of the encouraging things about meeting with this, this person. I mean, literally moving heaven and earth to get their people out. I mean, that was, that was encouraging to me that there are at least some people doing this and doing the right thing. 
you know, because I see so many that aren't. But anyway, this one person, you know, he's worked with these these Christian ministries for the last decade. And he actually worked with Werner Grunewald, who is, you know, really well known. He was martyred by the Taliban in 2014. I mean, there's way to verify stories. I mean, you can't just assume, like, it's almost like, I don't know. It, it's just, it's frustrating. I, I think that we need to be um, recognized that we do have an obligation to them that we, um, they stood by us for 20 years and we should be following through on what we say. And this was, I mentioned, they mentioned this. This is in the first room that had no sound, but I do between a Easter and Pentecost. I, each year I will read through the Psalms. If you read through the Psalms, um, you do three a day for 50 days. You'll get through the whole book of Psalms. And this was in the reading for yesterday in Psalm 7. And in verse 3, uh, David writes, Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to him who is at peace with me, yes, I have delivered him who is without cause, uh, was my adversary, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Yes, let him tread my life down to the earth and lay my glory in the dust. And that's what we're doing. We are paying evil to people who have stood by us and been our friends. And that is something that brings judgment. And we have to own that. That's not okay. We need to like do what we said we will do. We need to just follow through. We can do a whole lot better than what we're doing. And there are so many like individual organizations that are trying to get people out. Um, and, but they're just individual. Like you literally have to, you know how in the, uh, in the Exodus where they were like, had they, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and they had to go out and make all these bricks. And then the Egyptians made them have to go out and get the straw to make the bricks. That's what it's like. You have to like go out and fundraise and do all these things. Not only just do the job, but do all this other stuff just so you can go and spend the time on this. This is one of the things that guy said to me. He's like, we have, we have an organization of 25 people and um, we have a structure. He's like, and he said, you have 115. I'm not seeing that structure there. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I do, I do actually have more. Like we have, he said that they didn't create their own nonprofit. They, came in under an existing nonprofit. So he he does what basically what I do with Don. So they get the, the organization gets the donations and they tell him what they need for documentation. He gives it to them and then they take care of the reporting. So that's what I do with Don. He tells me I get the documentation for where the money's spent and then he he sends he sends the money and I don't have to worry about any of the rest of it. So we do have that. I have somebody that's doing work with the kids for um, you know, some of the teaching. So I have a little bit of that. Uh, I have the, um, the college kid that was, he was actually in college for law and political science when um, he, when everything went to hell. But he uh, is the one that has been working as an interpreter for a lot of embassy and uh, UNHCR interviews and it's been very successful in prepping people to have like su successful outcomes, you know, getting those applications approved. 
So I have him, I do have him, he's working with them too. So I have a little bit, a little bit of a structure, but not nearly enough. So that's one of the things I'm working on. So anyway, that's this week. I am, like I said, I am still, um, I'm going to, you know, they're putting out this program, like this is an option for Welcome Corps. So I'm going to go on that assumption and uh, I'm just, that's one of the paths that we're going to pursue. I'm going to, I'm talking to a couple of universities about um, possible programs for some of the people. We're just going to, I'm just going to keep moving forward on the places I can move forward. And we will just, thank you. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to take breaks and monitor, meter my time. This week was kind of blown, but um, <laughs> as far as time, try to have to try to do better next week. But it's a lot. But we're, I don't know. I don't know. Things can change, and I think if um, I think if people know that they can help, I think that they will, and so. One of the things, this is uh, my, uh, my friend Clint, he's the one that has given, I connected with him on Twitter and since then he's given me a lot of information, but he will share, if you want to keep up on what all is going down, um, he shares a lot of information. Um, this is uh, another person that provides a lot of information about the immigration process and about what's going on. Uh, she actually, there's a, she has an interview with, um, on the Afghanistan Project podcast. And um, so if you want to kind of like learn a little bit more about that. And like I said, the um, Afghanistan Project podcast, they they had a little bit of a break. It seems like they're back in now about talking about like what's going on there. If you go watch that, you can see kind of like what's going in on the ground. But if you have, if you happen to connect with somebody and one of my, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but I talked about um, somebody who was uh, pulling a scam. I mean, a lot of times there's so many people in need, but there's also scammers out there. And um, you have to be very cautious about like who you connect with and who you get involved with. But if you do know somebody, a family that's in Afghanistan and you want to be able to help them and get um, like food and aid to them, this on the ASEAL app, it's just an app you install on your phone. You can register them in the app and then you can buy a, a package um, to like for food or for, um, for they have like, uh, I can't remember everything, like a children baby package or I think they had clothing too. I don't remember. They, they have a lot of different aid packages. And so you can buy that and they will go and they will um, deliver that to the people. The other one that Clint has used quite a bit is uh, mobilerecharge.com. And so you can add time and data to, this is, can be used anywhere in the world, to, but to any phone number, you just need the phone number and the carrier and he said that in Afghanistan, you can put 
funding as little as five to seven dollars in Afghanistan to help you know, add data because basically their only connection to the outside world really is their phone. And we've had, uh, we had somebody that said they might have missed their UNH, that's in Pakistan, that might have missed their UNHCR um, interview because they, their phone was not, um, yeah. And there's a lot more. There's a lot more. Um, I, we know people. And so like the, the, the aid that were, yeah, you know, I didn't, I haven't really been on Twitter that much until recently, but as far as like firsthand information about, uh, apart from the person that's like giving me like advanced notice of things, um, if you want firsthand on the ground information, Twitter is the place to go because you get people actually in Afghanistan, um, people like journal, it just, firsthand stuff and that's kind of that's kind of the place where you can gather it you'll see it there before it comes out in the news but it is kind of a dumpster fire but if you can find a few people to follow it's good information that's where I go to kind of try to keep up on what's going on but um, also if you some of the a lot of the information has been coming like from our people so they'll send me um, send me information sometimes it's in like a you know Pashto or Arabic and if you use Google Translate to translate it but I mean if you can get a couple of good information sources you can you can get like the, the real story about what's going on but uh, yeah so phones food um, you know if you have a church that you're connected with that is interested in maybe sponsoring a family. Um, like I said, that second second uh, phase of Welcome Corps is supposed to be um, opening up and um, in a couple months. And so I have I've I've talked to my con the staff a, a caseworker in my congressman's office, and they said I asked if. They knew about it, and she said yes about Welcome Corps, and she said we can help people get get into that. So um, there are some there are options, like not only to help sustain them, but also to help them move. But um, anyway, that's this week. So I really I don't know. I just keep in the very beginning, it just seemed like a lot, and. It was overwhelming, and I was thinking, so it's going to have to be God that's opened the doors because I know nothing about any of this, and so why why would this fall in my lap? But um, and it still is, right? It still has to be God opening the doors, and this person I connected to that was like kind of a just the right time thing, so that's why I'm going to look at it. This is um, this is going to be. Uh, this is what I needed at the time I needed it. And some of the information might have been a little overwhelming, but it was information I needed to know. So and just one more thing to, uh, so I'm just perfectly aware of what of impossible task this is that, and what mountain God's going to move, right? So literally like the Exodus, but 57 minutes. This is actually the same amount of time that my first stream was. It didn't have any sound, but 
thanks for joining in and um we will see what happens in the next week so i will see you guys all later <laughs>